The Gospel Shaped Home Podcast is a family discipleship resource from Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina that aims to equip you and your family to be on mission with God to the end of the street and the ends of the earth. Welcome back to another episode of Gospel Shaped Home. I'm Andy Owens, pastor of Family Discipleship, and again, joined by Mark Saloria. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, Andy. Hey, everybody. So some of you may think because these chapters are about worship and idolatry that I planned for Mark, our worship pastor, to be here. I didn't actually. So today we're in chapter 11, which is titled False Gods, and it really is an extension of, kind of a continuation of what we we talked about in chapter 10, which is character, which is that you know our character is rooted in what we worship. So to start out today, I want to ask you, Mark, what is worship? This chapter in the middle of this parenting book really does deal with the heart of really what worship is. I mean, there's obviously corporate worship, which a lot of times in church context, we're talking about corporate worship, gathering the, the gathering, sing, singing, and those God's word the and disciplines, I guess, of that. But worship fundamentally is just giving our hearts to something like uh, we worship things uh, sometimes other than God. And that's what, you know, certainly idols are. Sometimes we use those figuratively, you know, like an idol might be our job or whatever, right? Or our um, kids. Exactly. Our kids. Yeah. People do that quite often. Uh, we take, an, take good things and making them ultimate things. Um, but, you know, just God said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God wants our hearts. He, he Worship is desiring God. I actually looked in Merriam-Webster just to see and, you know, there's multiple entries, but one of them uh, says for the noun worship, it's extravagant respect, yeah. admiration for, or devotion to an object of esteem, right. something that we treasure. And I think it's very important with worship. Sometimes we say, this is my object of worship, but it's our actions that demonstrate what our object really worship. So, you know, where your treasure is, there your, your heart, heart will be also. And so yeah. we fool ourselves sometimes uh, in in the declarations that we make about what we really worship. When If we really observe our lives and the time and energy we give to things, we can see what really matters and what really drives us. So on page 154 and 155, kind of in the middle of the chapter, he has a section called, What is Worship?, and he, he says some of the things we're talking about now, right? It's where we seek for meaning. It's where we f- seek identity. This kind of, you know, we seek to satisfy that inner hunger for peace. But he, he has lots of references here, just kind of a smattering of biblical references to talk about the importance of worshiping the Lord our God, worshiping him alone. He will not share his glory, worshiping him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. He brings out verses like this from Deuteronomy 11. It says, take care lest your heart be deceived, right? We're all in danger of being deceived. Just like you're saying, we think we're worshiping God, but really what our hearts value is something else. We, we love something else more than him. That's right. And I think also an idea here that's important. Worship is a response to God. You know, it's not something we just white knuckle. Like right here, there's all these passages, worship God, worship God. But what if our hearts aren't worshiping God? We say, okay, well, I'll worship God, but but our heart desires sinful things, right? Or our, our heart desires rebellious ways, which obviously is true of our hearts oftentimes. And so where we learn to worship God, it's learning that he's better. You know, he's that, worth it. That's right. Desiring God, Christian hedonism, you know, is what John Piper said, that we need to really pursue, that we would find joy. In it's not enough just to, to say, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll resign myself to, to giving him his due. 
what God wants is our hearts. Like there's ultimately in heaven, we will experience nothing but joy in worshiping him forever. It won't be a prison sentence. It'll be true freedom. You know, that's the process of sanctification is sanctification is learning that, that I think. It comes from seeing him more yeah, and yeah. more clearly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the, the question obviously is how does this connect to right. parenting? And so at the beginning of the chapter, Paul Tripp, he makes the connection explicit again. He asked three questions, okay? Mm-hmm. The first one is, why do my children do the things they do? Mm-hmm. Okay, why do they make the choices they make? Why do they act the way they do? Why do they argue or resist the ways that they do? The second question is, how does change take place in my children's hearts and lives, right? If we don't know the cause of what they're doing, we can't understand how they need to change, right? He says you if most Christian parents, sadly, most Christian parents can't answer the first question, therefore they can't answer this one either. And then the third question is, how can I be a tool or an instrument of change in the hearts and lives of my children? So, you know, he has a couple helpful illustrations, one of a, a young boy who pitches a temper tantrum in Toys R Us. He says, don't go there. The devil's in that store. <laughs> uh, but kind of traces it to his desire for control and, and wanting to be God. To, to be in the center of the world. And he also has an illustration of a teenage girl who, you know, struggles with appearance and desire for acceptance with her peers. And there's this lack of heart rest. And, and he traces how it's a profoundly spiritual desire that's driving all of that. And so those are really helpful examples. If I would really encourage you to read through these in the book, and they're going to probably help give some insight into struggles you see in your own kids. They did for me. I actually wrote some notes right, to some of my own children. But what I think would be helpful for us to do right now is to look, uh, starting on page 157, he has these five or six statements that kind of address these questions, right? So let's read them and just chat through them each, okay? So the first one, page 157, it says, The capacity of the heart of our children to worship is meant to drive them to God. So what's he getting at, brother? Each one of us has, this is such a... It's a deep. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> this is kind of an old school kind of thing, but you know, we have a God-sized hole in our hearts, right? Like there's a, there's a need in us to find satisfaction and joy in God. You know, we, we find we, that this yeah, world is right. satisfied. We come to the That's conclusion right. we're made for. So we fill that hole with other things, and so as parents, we have to just understand that. I think just fundamentally, like the condition of our children, which is the human condition, which is that drive when they're chasing after things, that, that drive is there because our children have been created to worship God. Yeah. So if we can start there, I think that our parenting can start off on the right foot. Yeah. And one practical thing here is that he points out that a lot of Christian parents, they want their kids to believe in God and to, to love going to church, but it's kind of like one element of what they, they're they doing as parents, right? right. They, most of their focus, their primary focus, he says, is on producing children who are mannerly, who do well at school, who succeed at sports and music. And, and I'm just struck as I read this chapter that God really is at the center of the universe and he's calling us to order our lives with him at the center. Yeah. And so for us as parents, we have to recognize that everything in life relates to and flows through our a worship of God or our worship of other lesser things. Here's a practical thought, by the way, on this point of why it's so important. How often as parents do we say we want our children to be happy, right? And so if our child is vain, right, we might uh, spend, we might sort of enable them by spending an ordinance amount of money on makeup or maybe constantly 
it's certainly worthwhile to say to your daughter, you're beautiful. We're trying to combat vanity with more vanity, right? We're trying yeah. to make them happy by, by saying that thing you're pursuing, whether it's beauty or sports, we try to just give them more of that. But really, we, we have to, this is where this is important. If we start off on the wrong foot, we're not going to lead our children to, to God. We're going we're gonna to dig a deeper hole for them as they continue to try to vainly find purpose and happiness in things that won't fulfill. Yeah. That's kind of connected to the second, the second statement. He says, the capacity of your children to worship is the most important biblical insight right. for parents, the capacity for worship. And, and kind of the, I think the main idea here is that when we see all these things, like whether it's a, it's a, you know, just vain desire to, for appearance and things or, or constantly taking selfies, those things that they argue about, fight over, or really passionate about, reveal where they're at, right? It reveals what's important to them and functionally what's ruling their hearts. And that's a lens uh, for us, in a sense, to, to look into their lives and, and or even, in a way, looking through the lens of, hey, I know this person is a worshiper. That helps me see they're, they're giving their heart to these things, right? It's, it's insight for us, and it helps us be a tool of God to give insight to them. That's right. The next statement, this is, I think, probably the most practical, like, to give direction to us as parents uh, from this chapter. Top of page 159. Since your children are worshipers, you must be committed to being an instrument of seeing. What is it they need to see, Mark? Uh, The glory of God. They need to see the glory of God. Their, Their need for that. Yeah, and that's the first thing I wrote when I read that instrument of seeing, seeing the glory of God. And mm-hmm. he's addressed that throughout this book. But he also, he says they need to see something that they're blinded to, namely what's happening in their own hearts right. you know, as well. And I love this statement, your children cannot grieve what they do not see. They cannot honestly confess what they do not grieve, and they cannot repent of what they haven't confessed. And so as parents, we... As ambassadors of King Jesus, we're trying to help them see you're not worshiping God aright. Your life is not aligned and oriented around God like God is calling it to be, and that's what's leading you to value all these other things and not value His glory. Mm-hmm. Next one, since your children are worshipers, a vital skill for you is to learn how to lead them to confession. Thoughts there? I just think that just springing off the last point, you know, if, if our role and our purpose is to help them see their need for God and the glory and beauty of God, then we lead them. And it's sort of like those four points, starting off with glory, ending with ending with welcoming from a couple chapters ago. The goal is to to then lead them to confess, God, I, I need you, right? So it's not just pointing out a deficiency or a brokenness in their life, but it's helping them to be made right with God because we have access uh, to the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is the place where he kind of warns us like leading them to confession is not going to happen if we're trying to use threat and guilt and you know those earthly power tools and and um you know i was reminded as i read especially the middle of page 160 you know that it's so tempting to raise your voice it's so tempting to to shake your finger to get in their faces and he says sadly even to slap to shove to push to pull to pinch and the the reality is none of these things are going to open up their hearts and so I was reminded of J.C. Ryle's little booklet, The Duties of Parents, where he says, without affectionate, tender love, um, if you come at your children with harshness, you make them angry and defensive, they will close up the door of their hearts to you, and you will weary yourself to find it again. And So just seeing uh, this 
ministry of, of helping them see what's happening and lead them to confession requires tender, patient love and insight-giving conversation. And it's also something that we can't do for them. Like we're, we're guiding them to the act of confession. Like it's got to be something between them and the Lord. So it says, the last thing he says is we need to commit ourselves to asking, where is God calling my children to own responsibility for their thoughts, desires, and how can I help them do it? We're not doing it for them. And ultimately, right? you know, it, it leads to the next point. To say your children are worshipers means you have no power to free them from their biggest problem. Uh, it's a great book. Yeah, it's really good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you're saying, like we, we can't confess for them, but we ultimately, we can't change their hearts either. Right. We're reading this book on parenting. We ultimately decide and realize, well, can't do this ultimately, right? Yeah. Sorry. No, that's good. A little humor there. Yeah. But admitting our inability uh, is not right. giving up, right? He says right. that's actually the soil right. in which we can become effective parents is when we say, God, I recognize I can't Correct. do this. They need your light to shine. We're almost done with these uh, statements. Because your children are worshipers, your only hope for them is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's this is news. the positive yeah. answer to yes. that neg- previous negative statement. Main thought or application from that section. And I just think that we are more like our children than unlike them. What a gift we have as parents. Like It's one of the greatest gifts to us as believers. Like It refines us, just like our marriage relationships refine us. Um, God has been so gracious to us because... We see ourselves in our children. God teaches us things as we discipline. We're probably learning more than they are, and we become more like Jesus through this process of, of uh, sanctification. Last paragraph of the chapter starts with this, this statement, parenting is being willing to expend your time, gifts, energies, and resources in a daily battle of worship as God's tool in the lives of your children. May God give us grace to, to do that, to pour ourselves out, use our time, use our gifts, use our energies to be God's ambassadors. We represent him to our children and may he help us to do it faithfully. Amen. Mark, thanks for joining, brother. Thanks, Andy. Thank you all for joining as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Shaped Home Podcast produced by Providence Baptist Church of Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and resources from Providence, visit us online at pray.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts.